I want us to become brothers again like we used to be, and for us to find ourselves and bond with each other. Can we agree to that? Opinions vary. Welcome to Three Brothers Filmcast, a monthly roundtable podcast where the brothers behind threebrothersfilm.com have substantial, nuanced conversations about film. I'm Anton Berkstrom, and I'm here with my brothers. Anders. And Aaron. My last name is the same as my brother's. And this month, we're talking about Park Chan-wook's Decision to Leave, the latest psychological thriller from the South Korean master. But first, thank you for listening. If you like the show and have not yet done so, please rate and review and share on social media. Also, follow us on Facebook and Twitter and subscribe to our YouTube channel. Aaron recently posted a short video introduction to the films of James Cameron, launching our James Cameron retrospective. Yes, between now and the release of Avatar The Way of Water, we're devoting the site to going through each movie in Cameron's filmography, including his seldom-seen first feature, Piranha 2, and his Under the Sea documentaries. We will be posting an in-depth review of a Cameron movie every few days, so do check the site regularly. We're really excited about this retrospective, and we hope you will join in on the conversation. But now, on with the show. Okay, ramblers, let's get rambling. Park Chan-wook is one of the two most famous directors from South Korea. Although Bong Joon-ho has enjoyed a bump in prominence with his success at the Oscars in early 2020 for Parasite, it is Park who first wowed international audiences with his Vengeance trilogy in the early 2000s, most notably his revenge masterpiece, Old Boy, released in South Korea in 2003, and which enjoyed its own bump from the praise heaped on it by Quentin Tarantino at the 2004 Cannes Film Festival, where it won the Grand Prix. As this preamble might suggest, I'm not an expert in South Korean cinema, although South Korean movies have, for the past decade and a half or so, been among my most frequent international viewings at both film festivals and at home. But that word, international, also frames my response. Just a Canadian guy watching Korean cinema from the outside. Although, it's probably worth saying I have lived a year in South Korea teaching English. And I've admired Korean cinema from its quote-unquote new wave to its current global cultural tsunami, which reached new heights after Parasite's big win and Squid Game's phenomenal performance on streaming. Decision to leave Park's latest success, for which he won Best Director at the Cannes Film Festival earlier this year, and which is South Korea's submission to the Academy Awards this year, is a fascinating spiral of a movie. In brief, it's about a detective who becomes infatuated with the prime suspect in a murder case, which saw a retired immigration officer plummet off a mountain. As the plot spirals back to dealing with Suray, uh, the woman suspect, Decision to Leave circles back on previous themes and motifs in Park's own movies, as well as other works in film history, most notably Alfred Hitchcock's masterpiece, Vertigo. Vertigo, after all, is the most famous spiral movie of all. Critics have long discussed how the film loops back over itself during the second half. Halfway through that movie, Scotty believes that Madeline has died, and we jump forward in time only for Scotty to fixate on a new woman, who strangely looks like and reminds him of Madeline. The spiral image, which features famously in the opening credits for Vertigo, and on its original poster, indicates how Vertigo fixates on previous elements within its own plot, while at the same time those patterns also underlie and propel the narrative dynamics going forward. Now, Park is known for his interest in Western films and art. He said that Vertigo inspired him to become a filmmaker, and he made an English-language movie, Stoker, in 2013. 
The title, Stoker, calls to mind the author of Dracula, Bram Stoker, but that film also is deeply indebted to Hitchcock's shadow of a doubt, with Matthew Good in the film playing another, Uncle Charlie. At the same time, Parker is deeply attentive to the history of the Korean nation, as we see in his brilliant thriller about the North-South Divide, Joint Security Area, from 2000. We also see Park's fascination with the history of Korea in small touches throughout Decision to Leave, particularly the history of one character's grandfather fighting in Manchuria and the guerrilla resistance against the Japanese occupation of Korea in the early 20th century. Without getting into all the plot details, Decision to Leave, like Vertigo, concludes one storyline midway through the movie, only to retread similar elements and characters in the second half. In the process of watching the second half, we begin to reevaluate what was taking place during the first half of the film, while the second half also introduces new elements. Park wrote the film along with Jong So Kyung, and it's a meticulous screenplay that I would love to be able to understand in the original language and also to watch a second time. Park's films are known for their blend of humor, horror, tragedy, and formal polish. That blend, which can seem quite strange to some Western audiences, is definitely part of their appeal and uniqueness. In Decision to Leave, the more sensational elements are muted, although still present at times. There's odd humor and laughs interspersed, as well as a few moments of brutal violence, but not full-on gore and horror. Tragic and melodramatic elements are strongest here, and those elements of the film even seem to be evoking the Korean dramas, so popular today around the globe, that play a role in one character's daily watching habits in the film. Surei's eventual choice is not only to affix herself permanently into the psyche of her detective beloved, but also to make their story one of absurd, never-ending mystery and drama. Their show, in her mind, will never have a neat conclusion. Did I mention that decision to leave is gorgeously shot? Another stylistic feature that is notable is Park's decision to have the main character walk around in the locations he's following, visualizing his obsession, standing behind the girl and his imaginings, such as the possible ways a murder takes place. While this isn't my favorite Park Chan-wook movie, uh, it's probably a toss-up between JSA and Old Boy. it's certainly accomplished enough to rank highly in the majority of directors' filmographies. Now, Anders, I know you've long been an admirer of Park's films, going back to the days of recommending Old Boy a blockbuster. So uh, did you like Decision to Leave? And how do you see it fitting into Park's body of work? I liked the film quite a bit. I really had a good time watching it. Setting aside, I'll, I'll comment on it as a, a Park film and as a, a Korean film in a moment, but it was just actually very satisfying to go to the movies and, and see a film, a mystery, a thriller, a you know sort of twisted romance maybe in parts as well. Yeah. Uh, a movie that like was... You know, um, as they always say, they don't make movies for like grown-up audiences that is, are interested in, in grown-up themes and things like that. Um, but at the same time, is so cinematically literate, uh, informed by the genres. Uh, in this case, particularly, like you know, uh, murder investigations and and obviously the thrillers of like Hitchcock and things like that. So mm-hmm. it was just really uh, enjoyable on that level. And as far as how I see it fitting into Park's body of work. I kind of see it in some in a sort of strange way. It, it's kind of a return to actually something like JSA, like Joint Security Area. Yeah, yeah. in the sense that it it provide it's kind of like a more grounded like mystery. It doesn't like that one. It doesn't have the sort of like intense violence of like the uh, Vengeance trilogy or uh, or the fantasy thirst. elements. Yeah, or the or thirst with its sort of like yeah. almost science fiction you know horror aspects and it also lacks the sort of like explicit shockiness of something like the handmaiden which i I don't know if you've seen but 
which is also a really great no film. i actually i missed it and it that film kind of fits into some of the stuff in like um and just to leave explore the the sort of history of the korean uh peninsula you know and because handmaiden is about uh, the japanese occupation and, and korea as a colony so so it fits more into that end of things than the sort of vengeance trilogy yeah what about you aaron did you like it? Yeah, I thought it was great. And I think it's kind of interesting with with Park, how he's a filmmaker in some respects. Um, I think what made him so appealing on the international cinema circuit is the twists in his movies. You know, Old Boy has a famous twist. Ha- the Handmaiden has several twists in it. Thirst and Stoker all have kind of their twisty narratives to them. But And this movie does have twists in the elements of it. But the other thing that... Um, made him really famous was the violence i think in his movies especially in his vengeance yeah. trilogy and old boy is kind of horrifically violent most famously for that one um one shot fight in the hallway with the hammer and or devouring an octopus yeah devouring the octopus um thirst obviously has all the vampire violence and and even the handmaiden doesn't necessarily have much violence in it but it has very explicit sex scenes and it, mm-hmm. it, it relishes the idea of being provocative through content and this movie despite a few scenes that i think will give you a bit pause it's actually quite tastefully restrained to a point where it is, which was almost shocking to me for park and it seems you know there's there's this talk um with some of tarantino's later films right especially with once upon a time in hollywood where the the kind of provocateur of his youth or his earlier, you know, filmmaking days seems to have receded to a more mature approach to, yeah, there's, there's little punctuations of violence, but he's much more um, confident in actually just like allowing the story and the characters to carry it through. And I feel like Park is maybe entering that stage with this movie. There was, was teased with the handmaiden, but I think is really coming through now. Yeah. Do you think that just to draw on that, that the more mature style adds and that what you say, the punctuation of like, explicit or violent material lends it a, a like sort of more sometimes intensity yeah in in some respects i mean i think it's hard to top some of the scenes in old boy or sympathy for mr vengeance or the handmaiden in terms of intensity but um like a perfect example in this movie is the scene where he finally gets the call about the the killer that he's been tracking down and he's on the rooftop and he has a conversation with him and he's clearly trapped him and the guy pulls out a pair of scissors right and he holds them to his neck yeah. and we never actually see him cut his own throat because we don't need to because the scene cuts back and we hear that we see the ple- um, the news reports and we see the blood stain on the roof and we see yeah. the, the people dealing with the crime scene and it actually has more of a lingering effect. And it plays into the theme of the movie, which is this idea of the implication is more powerful than the explication, which is what yeah. um, C.O. Ray does right with her yeah. whole manipulations of Heijung. We, we read the marks as the evidence of the thing, even if we never actually saw the thing. I mean, that's that's the entire premise of being a detective, though. Exactly. Right? That's a good point, because I think partly the, I guess, the, the tonal approach in this film is matching, right, its themes and its subject matter well. So it, it's, but it's also um, to distinguish it from his earlier works, you've all sort of talked around how it's not, it's not a deliberately like a provocative film. And that is a characteristic of a lot of his earlier stuff. But this is this is why also enters your connection um, with JSA, I think, is apt because JSA is also not marked by its shock or provocativeness. Although it's twisty, um, it's more uh, meditative because it's thinking about memory and uh, and going back over the details of how something played out. Um, and 
this movie is the you know tonally it's not trying to shock you the way that like you know old boys the kind of movie where you're almost the horror of it is that you're so deeply shocked by like what's revealed that it's like devastating and it's this almost this greek tragedy level of horror um this this movie is more it's going for a totally different tone and i think it really achieves that and you know it's it's meditative it's hypnotic um and you're right that it's built on um that the hint the implication you know is more um powerful and he's really working out how that stimulates the audience by never like you know, there's not actually that many times where it's clearly laid out what has even happened, mm-hmm. which I think, you know, there's the language barrier, but there's also the fact that, like, it is a movie that's not directly just, like, spitting out the twist. No. That it I think when you're watching it, you're like, oh, like, oh, like, that's what's going on. Like, it sort of slowly dawns at times. Yeah, don't don't watch this movie with your friend who always was, like, asking you, what, what did I miss something? Yeah. Just, what did yeah, I miss just something? happen? And be what like, this? Well, what was this? Actually, if you just, you know, let it play out, it's... You don't know yet. <laughs> no, the funniest type of person to watch with a, a movie like this or any kind of plot intensive film, with like of that type of person is the one. It's like they'll always ask you the questions, but it's like I haven't seen this movie either. Why would I know the answer? <laughs> like I'm watching it at the same time you are. I don't have an answer for this. Yeah, I always just find that a funny uh, approach. But I think that I mean that even that kind of reaction to the movie, which, you know, it might not be quite somebody being like every moment, oh, what, what's, why is he doing that? Why is that doing that? Yeah. There is a lot of these questions of motivation, which the film plays with. Like so many um, mystery films, it gives you the answer right up front. And then it has the characters dance around it. And it's like, oh, it's too obvious, mm-hmm. too obvious. Because again, the thing that is implicated is far more interesting than the thing that's just probably facing you right up front. Right. <laughs> But also the decision to leave is a, yeah, it's not just about the actual plot of what happened in solving the mystery. It's, yeah. as you say, implication, all the the sort of unsaid uh, aspects, the the fact that actually once you, if, if you finally follow through the mystery to its, uh, you know, its implication, you're like, it leaves you with a lot of questions about like motivation and like what, what actually like yeah. drove certain characters to do certain things, which, which makes sense in a really human way, because that's actually the way I think many human beings actually are. We, we don't actually have full access, like a novel into people's, uh, you know, psyches and, and things like that. As I always remind my, my students, you actually have to tell us, but then that also <laughs> leaves an ambiguity of like between what's told and what remains unsaid you're, you're right that the movie is um often very understated and you know a great example of that is um so Sure, right she's the um the prime suspect and heijun is the detective who's initially tasked with following her to make sure her sort of story checks out becomes obsessed with her but there's a later point in the film where she says to him she says um you know when you told me you loved me And it's interesting because I remember watching the film and I was like, oh, I don't actually, you know, so on one level, the film's very understated because um, Hijun's married. Uh, He works in Busan. His wife, you know, his wife is, uh, he lives away from her during the week when he's, when he's at work. Although they're like, you know, he's drawn to Suray, seems to be attracted, maybe in love with her. The film never really, um, he never comes out and actually says that directly in terms of what they actually do together you know, kiss, et cetera. Like it, it's very limited. And you're like, oh, like, did he actually say that? And then the film itself actually points to a point where he said something else. 
And she read that as being like, this is the moment when I knew you were actually saying, mm-hmm. like, I love you by doing that thing. And it, it's a film that like, to me, the fact that I, the, the, that moment dawned on me almost at the same moment that it dawns on Heijun when he's, when he's like listening to her, mm-hmm. that to me was like, you know, an example of what this film accomplishes that um, you're, you get quite aligned with the the psychology of Heijun and, you know, his, his following her and, so you actually sort of have the revelation along with the character, which I yeah. which I thought was a really good scene. In a sense, the revelation is that our behaviors betray us. Yeah, our yeah. Uh, actions are actually speak louder than words. In a sense, right? Um, but we always want the direct evidence of things. And so I, I'm curious, what you? How do you guys think that fits into the the film's title, like "Decision to Leave"? Like, yeah, well, I mean, it's such a it's it is such a uh, like it's a purposefully an- ambiguous decision. Um, sorry, <laughs> purposely ambiguous title about many different you know many different characters make decisions to leave in different ways. You know, it, it's one of those. It's a, it as a title, you're like it wasn't very uh, like catchy. Like I was like, oh, what decision to leave? Like this just sort of sounds like uh, sounds like a soap opera. You know. <laughs> Yeah, some boring like kind of drama, just about like maybe a guy like leaving leaving his wife slowly. But you know, but the movie actually sort of unpacks all these different characters doing that. Mm-hmm. But what I guess what I was trying to say is that sometimes what that suggests and what you know, Sure's. Uh, uh, Are you seeing like when was the decision actually made? No, but like he actually again, made yeah. the decision so, in so some exactly, sense before like, he thought if, he was making the decision. Exactly that he had already through his actions and his obsession with Sure. Yes like already basically separated himself, detached from his his other primary relationship before he realized it himself, right? Yes, yeah. No, yeah, that's a good that's a good point. Yeah, but that's the thing that's part of the thing with the whole movie is that mm-hmm. it teaches you how, you know, it, it teaches you how to watch it before you realize and it's ex- you know, they the characters lay out what's actually happening and then the whole importance of the spiral narrative the fact that it bends back on itself is that you start catching the all the ways that it did the first time when you go through it the second time right yeah and, and that's a great point because the, this is one of those movies so some movies you watch and um you essentially are supposed to move along with the with the the pace of the images unfolding on screen and a movie like this like you obviously like anything you watch you're, you're moving along with the images unfolding on screen but you actually are like it's a movie that like you know in some sense asks you invites you to sort of step back and within the process of watching the movie begin to reinterpret the movie not after you've watched the movie just thinking about oh like what happened earlier but literally like within the movie you're trained like Aaron as you sort of said like it's teaching you how to watch it and I think that's part of that whole spiral where it's going back and being like okay what was actually happening in these earlier sequences not only through like you know flashbacks and and at direct plot going back, but it give and also like you know with the pacing, it gives you the time to actually sort of mm-hmm. think back on that stuff within the process of the film. It is really strikingly like Vertigo in that sense. It is, like, except yeah, I and I think it, I I think it has to be uh, like it has to be a conscious yeah. decision, right? It's too it's too similar in its structure and its basic concept, right? Which is a detective becomes obsessed with a woman who's involved yeah. in a case. In in the number of rooftop chases, yeah. Which, Falls, you know, recall falling. the beginning. Yeah. yeah. The fact that, yeah, it revolves around a fall. It starts with a fall. I think the difference is that, I'm, you know, th- this is just my own interpretation. I might need 
be wrong. I might need to watch it again or read some more more theories about it. But um, I don't think the movie is a statement on filmmaking in the way that Vertigo is. No. I think it's actually it's interesting. It's it's I think a dual. It works more as a romance than Vertigo does. Vertigo is a very one sided relationship. And despite. Mm, yeah, you will only ever get Scotty. Scotty's point of view. Why are you doing this? What what good will it do? I don't know. I don't know. No good, I guess. I don't know. I wish you'd leave me alone. I, I want to go away. You can, you know. No, you, you wouldn't let me. And I, I don't want to go. Judy, I tell you this, these past few days have been the first happy days I've known in a year. I know. I know because... because I remind you of her. And not even that very much. There's nothing genuine coming back to Scotty in Vertigo. Because it's, it's all about projection. Film. It's about the relationship exactly. we have on it's screen. You're only one worth this watching. This is about being a detective and how we interpret and understand other people's gestures and um, actions. But detection, like in a, in a broad sense. In a philosophical, like, sense. In a philosophical but, sense. Like. But like so many of Park's, Park's films, like whether it's JSA or Old Boy or The Handmaiden, it begs to be understood also on like a metaphorical level, which is why is it so important that he's a cop and she's a potential criminal? It's that idea of like the obsessive bond between one and the other. One does not exist. One does not fulfill their function if the other doesn't fulfill their function. And therefore, her whole plot right, in this yep. movie is to essentially make it that he will forever be a detective trying to solve a mystery. <laughs> Around her. Just, like, yes. Man it's, just, it's like, yeah. I don't want to kill you. What would I do without you? Go back to ripping off mob dealers? No, 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 you... You complete me. Yeah, <laughs> no, exactly. It's a very twisted and it goes back to his almost, you know, his obsession with, with tragedy and, and classical tales and the idea of inevitability. Mm-hmm. The fact that there is a almost a mythological sense of these various character dynamics, even if the particulars of the movie, of the relationships, of the setting, and even their, their dynamics with each other are very specific to Korea and the 20th and 21st centuries. The way he weaves in, you know, the historical and ethnic stuff. The fact that she, um, So Ray is a Chinese immigrant who is allowed to become a, a citizen because her grandfather fought with liberation against Japan. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I guess it was unclear to me whether she would be a, like a Korean, like um, Korean ethnicity. Well, know, I guess she would um, have living uh, living in China, like the family, or or Chinese. But I, either way, you're right. Like because it's very much like the 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 guy she married was a like a immigration officer. She was um, was it like a it wasn't like a shipwreck, but basically it was like human smuggling, human trafficking. Yeah. She was discovered. And then she, she had to because of this historical link. Yeah, and she's trying to claim she's trying to claim her. Uh, her mountain. Her grandfather says that there's a mountain which is hers that she should claim. Like so, a piece of a, a literal piece of the land. Yeah, well, but I think there is a lot. Like this is it's a subtle film. It's a complicated film. It's a very rewarding movie, but I don't think it's like it is the type of movie that I think a perhaps you know a, a person who just casually watches movies might be a little bit lost at, even if they would enjoy the style 
and I think the mystery of the narrative and the the the, the, the tension, romantic tension between the two characters, which I think we have to talk about at some point. But yeah, I just think it's interesting how Park and it's instructive to know uh, learn how to read this movie by I think going back to his past movies, right? Because like so JSA, you explicitly have characters North South Korea, and they are stand-ins for types of people that define those cultures right like there's the peasant and there's like the kind of rich young man who from a well-to-do family who becomes a cop and they're all drawn to this point and you learn about how their their family histories inform the relationship and the their ability and inability right to actually heal that divide and the handmaiden is very much like you know you have the japanese occupier you have the korean um, person working with the occupiers and then you have the Korean infiltrator, right? Like the resistance mm-hmm. and the idea that the, only the two Koreans together can over or the, you know, the two subjugated ones right. can overcome the other, but it, it's constantly, the dynamics are not clean because they're constantly against each other and being flipped around and so forth. And so with, with this movie, it's like, okay, one's cop, one's criminal, potentially one's man, mm-hmm. one's a woman. One is, you know, um, a Korean, one is an immigrant, one's the one's a like a powerful individual, one's an abused victim. It's it's just there's so many different dynamics going on here. And it I feel like all those things tell us something about the, you know, this this larger message he's trying to get across about the, what makes people drawn to each other and what tie like what binds um, individuals or or people on a, like a larger sense. Mm-hmm. Like, I think he's making some comment about Korea. Yeah, there's a consistently <laughs> in those three films that you mentioned, JSA, The Handmaiden, and this one, a, a complication and a reminder of the Korea as a, a people who are split between themselves, but not in a, any kind of essential sense that are like an accident of, of history and things like that, right? There is that and this this need for like working together. And and I think for maybe many, many of us who who might not know much about the history of like North and South Korea, even the fact that like, you know, many members of the the People's Liberation Army in Manchuria would have stayed with the PR, you know, become members of the People's Republic of China. Um, that, you know, that kind of stuff, uh, you know, and yet they were hailed as heroes who fought against the Japanese oppressors. You know, it, it's complicated in the way it, it complicates and goes against the sort of simple narratives that we're told about uh, the Cold War and things from our, you know, perspective. So, and then for, for Korea, it is, it's not nearly as neat and tidy as that. Do you see that in the films? I don't know. <laughs> no, I, I do, but I'm just trying to, I'm just trying to unpack because I actually, it's a movie that I, you know, I've only seen it once. I think both Same. of you guys have yeah. only seen it once. Yeah. So I, I don't have an answer to all the yeah. actual things going on here. I just know it's I'm more just noting like themes and motifs. I don't have like an, it's not an answer. It's just, I think it's something for if anyone is watching it and has that, is equipped with that ahead of time, they might get something more out of those. It's, a, it's those just ones. a very provocative movie, I think, in certain ways, which, you know, goes back to my earlier comment that it's, even though it's quite implicit in its content, there's a lot going on in this film. Um, provocative in levels. the, uh, like, it provokes thought and attention, yes. but not in a uh, sensational way. But like even on a stylistic level, the stuff that so you noted, Anton, how you know there's scenes where we see him entering the crime scene. We he we see him imagining what might have happened. We see him inside the room when he's watching her with a Monday yeah, so granny, right? So he's he's you know he's monitoring her from outside from the car, you know, looking through the window. And then you get a sequence where he's like he's walking around inside, you know, imagining just. So if you haven't seen the movie, that gives you a visual. Yeah. So I just, I think that's really important to that stylistically and the cinematography in this film is actually like really, really interesting. Um, 
there's a few shots that I've seen like uh, clips shared uh, after the fact as well to remind me like where he'll do things like you know a, a, sh- a shot through a mirror then be- then becomes the actual shot you know so like he'll be watching Sure through the the mirror but then we cut it never doesn't cut away we just move in and now we're in the the space right so it oh, it yeah. is um, unifying through the camera the, the transcending the space that and the distance between the the watcher and the the person being watched in, in all kinds of ways that are actually like really like cool camera uh like moves and and things or like car driving and then you like you know looking at the interrogation the scenes where he has how many different versions of the screens mirroring each other and flipping exactly and like you're so seeing this literally is actually, three versions of her and three versions of him in the same right. frame <laughs> so i guess what i'm trying to say is that like i agree with everything anton said in the intro but i think that might be for someone who hasn't seen it like undersells how like formally like uh, cool and like interesting the film is in a lot of ways it's not just like classically composed and beautiful which it is at moments but it's actually like yes one yes. of those things that film nerds uh, will will you know analyze for for the next few years kind of thing but but also how the edit actually like it interweaves scene like scenes don't end and start they're like interwoven with each other mm-hmm. <laughs> and the, there's always like one will blend into the next by these the way that the edit actually like jumps back and forth because it's we're basically whatever the emotional sway of Heijun is like carrying us into the next following the clue following the emotional path which draws us into the next scene and it's it's very um it's almost like an intoxicating way of structuring a movie because it like pulls you in super tight right and then it unleashes and uncoils at the end so in terms of like basic you know dramatic tension it's a very tense movie despite you know, there only being a few, you know, chase scenes or action mm-hmm. or whatnot. Yeah, the camera does sort of, um, there's a lot of movement and it. it sort of keeps you um, intrigued just through sort of the camera movements. But now, like now I'm sort of, all this talk about sort of the camera work, I am wondering how much this movie is, like, I don't, it's too easy to reduce every movie to a movie about movies. Yeah. But, but like, so like you have a character, Heijun, who, you know, um, obsesses with, the person he has to watch he's trying to you know sort out what is going on in her what is her story and there is that element of like the movie where it's like um like uh sure like watches like these korean dramas before uh before bed or like when she's like having her dinner he notices this there's later comments that like um that the town they moved to ippo with this nuclear reactor is sort of famous because it features in like one of these episodes of like a korean drama that's very tense and the, and then you notice that hey june when he moves away from uh, Busan and like his detective work to, to work only in Ippo, like the smaller town outside the, like Busan sort of like a coastal city in the South. So he's going to serve a smaller city to be with his wife in the second half. And he describes how depressed he is, like how um, he, he has no enjoyment in life in his real life. And, th- and this is the thing that I'm like, I don't know what I don't, again, like I don't have the answer and I don't know exactly what this is saying, but he is a character who, has no enjoyment out of um, like the actuality of his life. He's he's interested in the um, the interpretation of other s- stories and lives around him. So I don't know if that makes him more of a critic than like a, than a movie goer. I, well, I don't but, know. But but we so let's take this into the romantic thing because remember yes. that like this is a movie that it's it's not just a one sided infatuation. She becomes infatuated with him too. And the ways of their kind of manipulating each other's lives, they become completely intertwined with each other to a point where like their lives cannot be explicated from the other person, 
right? And it's not mm-hmm. just in like a romantic consummation sense. It's more of they become like the totalizing aspect of each other's obsessions. So just on Verdict, that note, the movie's the movie's noticeable for the fact that the characters become obsessed with each other in like largely a non-physical way. Yeah, like they're they're more interested in each other's person. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like then, like then, it's then like sort of a, a raw like sexual attraction. Like a lot of movies would make this their relationship. Yeah. But what is it? But no, but so what? Like, what is it saying about romance in the fact that it it creates? You know, he, so he's in a relationship. He's married, but he becomes far more obsessed and passionate about her than he is about his wife, who's he only sees on weekends and is kind of like you know, a science nerd as he makes fun of her. Yeah. <laughs> about. And those, those what is seeds it? are, were set in the opening scenes before he even, you know, uh, starts. No, of course her. the dissatisfaction yeah, yeah. is, is, is put down there. But so like, if we're comparing to again, if, if we're compared to like vertigo and this idea of a cinematic obsession, it goes one deeper because it's not just about this idea being infatuated with an image and a watching of a person. Mm-hmm. It's, it's literally like almost both of them become into this, relationship they create with each other in which they implicitly agree to make this relationship about something it can never actually physically be in reality it will and she takes it one step further like you know maybe we actually should just talk about the twist or the 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 finale stuff now so if you haven't actually watched this movie yet and you've gotten 30 minutes in or so maybe you should probably watch the movie and and then come back to this point circle back (laughs) yeah Yeah. but (laughs) the fact that she sets up this elaborate suicide on the beach where she is buried alive by the tide coming in and is washed away and all trace of her disappears so he is forever wandering a beach in which the footsteps disappear like that's the last images we get of him leaving him in a perpetual desire to find her which means that it will like for the rest of his life, he will be searching for her. Yeah. What does that say about romance and this movie's conception of the romantic ideal where it's like the only way that a romantic infatuation can be sustained forever because all the other relationships, all the marriages end in this movie. All the yeah. ones that the di- they're ever decided to leave. Yeah. Is the relationship in which it ceases to actually be about two people and just becomes about one person's infatuation with the other. Right. Yeah. Like it, it, it becomes a relationship, the spiral thing again, right? The movie spirals them together in the central s- sequences and then unravels them again. And when it unravels fully, um, Sure is gone. It suggests that, that the, the romantic infatuation is because it can never be fulfilled and that it would, it's like once it settles into that, it, it would become something else. So if you want to maintain that one uh, connection, that one relationship, it has to be like strung out. Uh, without yeah. the possibility of fulfillment, in a sense, it's yeah. all, almost yeah, like, yeah. Uh, like Anton as a as a medieval, you know, someone who's interested in medieval things. It's almost a kind of uh, uh, chivalric, you know, courtly chivalric, love, or even like Petrarchan, like unattainable. Like yeah, there's there's definitely something about like so like yeah, like whether it, like um so again like it's not it's not interested in the like the sexual physical side of like consummation but yeah. there's a sense that it, it's interested in the how the um the attraction to someone else and and also kind of to like their unknown story is is uh like desirable in and of itself for some people mm-hmm. like like because like, so, so like, it's not that yeah that it's not it's that, that it's that before you get to know the person and so like one of the things with his wife is that it's like 
you know, um, they, they, it, it's, so one is like, it's been reduced to, um, you know, they're just, they're just sort of inhabiting the same space and she's just sort of always has sort of like a, a health tip for him or something like that. <laughs> yeah. And which are actually pretty funny moments, like the different things yeah. she would need him to do, like eating uh, like soft shell turtles. Turtle. <laughs> oh, that turtle scene is so funny where they're catching them and it bites them. Yeah. Ah! <laughs> so that was one of the more like silly moments in the movie. That no, this movie's actually really funny in moments. Like it's got some really good jokes. I found the whole sushi scene hilarious. But <laughs> yes, that's that's great with that. Why does why does he get the fancy sushi? The premium sushi set. <laughs> yeah, the, the the fancy premium lunch orders they do. So it's the it's the sense that the like it's partly also that when when the person is a when the other person you're attracted to is is a still like kind of like a puzzle that there's still somewhat of a mystery that like that that's part of the appeal. Yeah, it's it's actually yeah. a very like it's, it's the movie is not I think as outwardly tragic as some of his other films, no. but it does have that like tragic fatalism at the end, which I think is a through line in all of his movies. There's but seems it, some the one the one thing I want to clarify though is and this might act as a kind of uh, jumping off point comment on some other elements of the film is, is you know it's not necessarily like a sexual infatuation but it is there is an attention to like the the physical behaviors and even the physical characteristics of a person right yes. like so really i should how say they, how physical, they dress I should say how erotic you know, is, is, is i think there is something about. especially there's, there's physical size that they're interested in for sure yeah. and i think the casting of tong Wei, who is a very striking woman in the role is really important too She's yeah. very kind of like unique looking, but she's like also noted for her like, uh, you know, being good looking, but also being like an actress who takes on like daring roles and things like that. Right. Well, even so. within even within a the setting of the film. Right. She's exotic because mm-hmm. she's not Korean. Yep. And so there is a, there's an exoticism for his obsession with her. But then I like the the two performances by Tong Wei and Park Hae Il. It's it's kind of subtle. And again, I have to watch it again to really prove some of the stuff. But I got the sense that the more time they spend with each other, they start to pick up on each other's like physical characteristics and their yes. tics and yeah. they start to almost mirror each other in the way that they present and hold themselves on film like there's and you get these little things where the one character does it and the other character starts doing it like the he's always got hand cream or lip balm and she starts using it as the movie goes on the scene with the sushi which is very funny it's during an interrogation scene and so he's he's interrogating her and it's going late in the evening and he orders a meal and so earlier he he warns his younger partner you know get the cheap I'm not paying for the expensive food. Get something cheap. And then so when it's time for him to buy uh, dinner for him and Suray, it's the premium sushi set. And they both kind of sit down across from each other with their trays and they both eat very orderly, you know, almost like a mirror. They mirror each other as they mm-hmm. eat. And then when they're cleaning up, they kind of absolutely snap into this like function where they're both wiping at the same time, clearing it, stacking it. And it's like this cohesive yep. unit between the two. And the two other officers who are watching are not are noticing the fact that, you know, not just the fact that it's a premium sushi, but there's almost an erotic energy in the fact that they're cleaning up and eating together. And this is borne out in other scenes about food, like the, the notable scene where he makes the fried rice, right? Yeah, well, he makes mm-hmm. her fried rice. He makes her he Chinese also does, food. Yeah. And he also does... Um, <laughs> like, is this Chinese? <laughs> after the sushi scene, I think it's after the sushi scene, they go brush, like he brushes his teeth. 
he was very like clean um orderly but then like you know and even the way like he is very intent on her having to brush the teeth again you're right there is like a there's sort of the, there i guess there is sort of an erotic element almost to like the the tooth brushing like it, it there is yeah but but then it's funny also because then the movie in its mirroring of itself within its own structure and its own narrative when it repeats certain of these things the differences speak to where the characters are at so when she inserts her way back into his life when she moves to Ipo, when she's got a new husband when she kind of manufactures a second dead husband <laughs> to yeah. force him into a new mystery because you know it's like you're you got to be obsessed with me again because we're this isn't working right now now she's the driver of the relationship not him there's a scene where he's interrogating her again and she's just kind of given this corn dog with a <laughs> from like a mini mart or something and it's just in such stark contrast to the sushi set earlier I and the shot lingers uh, on it the uh, um deep fried rice hot dogs oh, chun really chun. <laughs> yeah chun chung's amazing this is a sponsor by Chan Chan. <laughs> yeah, deep fried rice, rice hot dog. I think, I think it's it's interesting that you mentioned like his like fastidiousness and like the hand the the lotion and things like that. Because the funny thing is like in I just realized that in Memories of Murder he plays the third suspect with the soft hands. Yeah, and <laughs> and she's also you know in uh, you know less caution she's this object of like erotic energy and like a spy and things like that, right? So there's like they're they're sort of drawing like there's that sort of like drawing on cinematic knowledge that informs the the, the cat you know it's I think what good directors do is like you, you cast people who bring some of those just even if it's just subtle things that not everyone's going to remember but like it informs the the character and the performance in a, in a lot of ways. So in terms of like like we've talked a lot about now about you know different potential interpretations of the film, uh, what's going on in it. I don't know if you guys want to open up a bit more to being like, how do you see this? Like we've talked a bit about like how we see this within in comparison to uh, some of his other films. I don't know if you have any other comments about like how you see this as a, you know, Park Chanuk film. So like Aaron, you noticed like, you know, so it, it still has a tragic element. It might not be the same, uh, the same level of intensity, but that still seems to be there. We've talked about it having an interest in um, kind of like the history of the Korean nation. Even if it's on the sort of the fringes, that seems to inform different things within it. I don't know. Like, I mean, where would you also like, where would you guys rank? Like, you know, I know it's one viewing, but like, where well, would you rank what's, what's, Yeah. What's what's your favorite Park film and like, where does this fit within his yeah, filmography yeah. for you after one viewing? I mean. Well, it, it fits in because I think all of his movies, I've seen almost all of his movies. There's a yeah, few I, I The only one I haven't seen is I'm a Cyborg, but it's okay. And his very first film. So. Yeah, I Although haven't I've seen his very first one. I've seen all the others. I, it's, so his first one's the only one I haven't seen. Park Chanuk has kind of a romantic fatalism. I'm, I'm going to go back to that phrasing because all of his movies have this sweeping emotionalism to them. His revenge trilogy has that very much with these characters who are so consumed by the emotional energies that that draws them to these harsh actions that destroy them, right? JSA has the idea of this like doomed friendship that is crushing because the characters cannot fulfill it because of the, you know, geopolitical circumstances of how they are friends. And, you know, the handmaiden Stoker have those romantic elements as well that, destroy the characters it's like this movie is so evidently a park film from its tone mm-hmm. and it's in its approach to conventional um genre elements in cinematic storytelling whether it's a mystery whether it's a romance whether it's a thriller so he's weaving all those things in but making this kind of you know statement about humanity about korea about human relationship that seems something that's a through line in all of his movies and so in terms of um, how I think it stands up against his others, I 
really like it. It's one of my favorite of his films, partially because of what I said off the top of it seeming to be a more mature park, not just in its its style and its confidence of the storytelling, but also the fact that he's doesn't seem to be like trying to just push a button. He's mm-hmm. he's yeah. knows he can get what he needs by being more subtle or more um, complex in some of his filmmaking stuff. I think JSA is still probably my favorite of his films. I find it like devastating. It's interesting, Aaron, because I was going to say something very similar, which is that it's interesting. One comment I'll make is that this is sort of the second time that he's kind of like, as Anton mentioned in the intro, kind of remaking or, or borrowing aspects from a Hitchcock film explicitly, like with the like the spiral of this, the Uncle Charlie, the, the mysterious like, you know, long lost uncle and Stoker and, and these kind of things. Is he he's trying to sort of like establish himself as that kind of like master of like a particular genre and and i i I think you know in in the korean context that he is one a master of that and like you aaron i also i if i had to put i like decision leave to leave quite a bit i would rank it up near the top of his films because i i also like kind of the his films that are actually a little bit more not the the over the top violent ones i mean like old boy was the one that got me into korean cinema and stuff like that and i still you know admire a lot about that movie not one that i really want to watch an awful lot yeah it's hard to uh, you know jump back i would say like yeah i think jsa still stands up as like a remarkable statement cinematic statement but i would say like this one in the handmaid and his last two are both like up there for me as some of his better ones so what about you anton yeah i would say um well i guess I'm similar to you guys in that I rank it highly among his stuff. Um, I think my two favorites are JSA and Old Boy for each the kind of their own reasons, which we've already sort of talked about. Um, but maybe after that, and it, it, I would say or say for like you know people listening to the podcast that I, like I also think it is a it, it is a rewarding movie, but it's probably um, you know up there with like Drive My Car is one of the more films that will qu- require um, more investment than some of the. Uh, I guess like blockbuster stuff we've seen, but it can be rewarding if you like give it its time, allow it to take its effect. It it seems almost determined to frustrate some of the things that you might go to a thriller or a romance wanting to get out of it because it kind of refuses catharsis in any sense or resolution. It's too late. It's too late. There's no bringing her back. God have mercy. Sarin은 후연과 같아서 처음만 어렵다. But it also what I sort of like is that now um park on an international scale and it partly through just the success of like Korean cinema more generally. But I think, I think old boy is a great movie. I I've only seen it once. It was a a super intense experience. At some point I'll probably watch it again, but it's so intense. I I don't know if I'm just like, you know, we'll just easily jump into that, but I, it's nice that he can make a movie that commands this attention. That isn't um, like the vengeance trilogies doesn't have to be sold on kind of like a, uh, like a like a, a shock level and like again like this is that almost has less to do with park and more with how those kinds of films are sold to western audiences yeah but 
you know, like the his early stuff, like the Vengeance trilogy, was very much sold as like this is so crazy, you have to see it. And it's yeah. nice that he's at a stage where you know, in, in our in our context, where it's just like we're just excited about like Park has a new movie. It was a big success at Cannes, and he's just like one of the you know the masters of like world cinema right now. And and that also has to do with I think in in some way as you mentioned the this sort of the initial korean new wave if you want to call it and the like its current status as like uh you know global cinema in a kind of way that is like kind of just accepted in in the early days of of the 2000s a lot of asian cinema was marketed under uh this sort of like first of all horror films like j-horror right like uh, but also then there was this whole movement in uh, dvd uh, companies that would market it as like Asian extreme, which yeah. is sort of a marketing yeah. thing. And, and today yeah. we'd probably be like, oh, that's kind of weird to do that. Um, yeah, the, but and, that was and, totally and, on and the he video was a, market. But yeah. it's totally what they did, right? As it was a sales pitch in some way. And so they, they found some of the most like provocative in that like sort of violence and sex and things like that. I mean, there was um, literally a, an anthology film called Three Extremes that Park did a segment in. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that, that's yeah. The, the one with the like piano, right? Yeah, it's cut. Where he's got, and it's about a filmmaker who one of his fans is angry at him and ties him up with a bunch of piano wire and is like going to make him make his like final movie kind of thing and he'll kill him if he doesn't do what he wants. Yeah, it's definitely worth that. I actually think though that that whole anthology series is is worth watching, although it's like probably Dumplings is probably my favorite. Dumplings is one of the grossest movies ever. But that's interesting because essentially that what that means is that also like within within the North American context, you know, Asian. East Asian cinema, Japanese, um, Korean, like it's no longer just sort of like a like a niche or exploitation genre, like where like mm-hmm. you know where it's primarily sold to 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 a wider audience. I mean, there's always been like the art house market for for certain filmmakers, but like now it's just like people like you know like with things like Squid Game, it's just like it was just the stuff that everyone watches. <gasps> You know, if you enjoyed Squid Game, uh, which we did on the podcast last November, if you're curious about this movie or have already seen it and you're wanting to know, like, what else, what else to see for a Korean cinema, you know, apart from, say, like, Old Boy and JSA, like, what what else would we recommend? Well, I think all three of us would say, like, if you want to see um, one of Bong Joon-ho's earlier films, which is magnificent. So, like, we all love... Um, Parasite. It was great. Um, his Memories of Murder movie, which is about a serial killer in a small town. Korea and it's now is on fantastic. the Criterion edition and on the Criterion channel. I it believe, it so. is it is easily one of the best films of the past two decades. I, I think it's fantastic. Um, it gets into the, again, like uh, for Bong, it's exploring class dynamics within Korea, and particularly the city versus rural tensions and divides. Um but it's also based on like a real ser- serial killer. So it's a bit of like a, you know, like Fincher's Zodiac. Fantastic movie. Definitely check out. I'd all, I A more recent one, which it's not great, but it is a lot of fun. Uh, train to Busan, which is like a zombie movie on a train. It's riding from Seoul in the north down to Busan, the city where this movie set in the south and with zombies. And it's, it's actually one of the better uh, like recent zombie movies I've seen. Yeah, last uh, last Halloween, I want, finally want, caught up with... Um... Kim Ji Won Won's uh, Tale of Two Sisters, which is uh, he, he's the guy who made uh, I Saw the Devil and Good, the Bad, and the Weird and stuff. But and that one is is much more a sort of like uh, a sort of creepy horror kind of you know 
in asylums and like ghosts and stuff like that. Okay. And the, yeah. the sort of like literal, like, uh, you know, you know, a lot of, we, we, we've talked a lot about, um, and Anton, you've especially written about like, uh, prestige horror or, you know, elevated horror. And that one kind of also like sort of trades in all the sort of like family traumas and, and things okay. like that. But it, but it's pretty, it's pretty good and, and genuinely kind of. When did it, scary. when did it, so when was it made? It's older. It's from, the, okay. uh, I want to say 2003. 2003. Yeah. So that okay, first so wave of, of it, yeah. uh, Korean cinema. So it's, it's worth checking out. Yeah. I th- so I think like if, if Parasite or Squid Game or Old Boy, or decision to leave is like the only Korean movie you've watched or Korean story that you've, you've consumed in recent years. I feel like there's a few different avenues and go. If you want to go into the more pure genre Avenue, Kim Joon who like did tale of two sisters is a good director to explore. He did the age of shadows a few years ago with Sung King. Oh, it's kind of a spy thriller set during occupied Korean like 1920s when the Japanese occupied Korea and Song Kang-ho is like a Korean um, police officer who's working with the Japanese to get a bunch of spies. So he's like a double agent. And there's this great sequence on a train where they're like, yeah, spared out who the contact is. And he, so he's been making movies for a long time. He's got some, if you like Parasite lot and you like Song Kang-ho, people are always like, Oh yeah, you got to go back, watch the host. You got to go back and watch memories of murder. Yeah. He's in those, but he's also in Kim Joon's first couple movies, which one is called the quiet family which has him and Choi Min-sik as these um, kind of adult sons in this large, it's an ensemble film where basically dead bodies keep showing up at this like guest house oh. that this family runs and it's kind of a black comedy and they have to clean it up and they realize that oh, maybe, maybe this, is this going to bring more people to come to stay in our guest house or less? Like how can we play this? Um, and then he also did this really goofy movie called the foul King where he's like a sad bu- business salary man who gets into luchador wrestling and he becomes the foul king. <laughs> okay, I need to see that. I need to see that. <laughs> and he kind of like discovers his inner hero. So those like Kim Joon, I think, is very much more of the you know all Korean new Korean cinema filmmakers are kind of known for their tonal dexterity. They were able to yeah. jump from scary to funny to goofy. The fact that like you'll have a slapstick sequence followed up by like nightmarish violence is a very Korean thing. But um, I think more than Park, more than Bong. He goes more of the pure genre route. So if you're wanting genre stuff, that's it. And if you're wanting more artsy stuff, I think um, Lee Changdong is a good example. So he actually used to be the minister of like the arts for Korea. And I think he was a playwright in the past, but he, a few years ago he had Burning with Steven Yeun. That's a good film. And that I movie like that is very lot. good, very mysterious. And that so like that is a film kind of very similar to Deci- Decision to Leave, where it's it's quite evocative and subtle. And it gets in your mind and it's about things that are left unsaid. Um, he's also got an older movie called Poetry about a, an older lady dealing with Alzheimer's. That's very good as well. Oh, I should say. And he made a film called Secret Sunshine, but the Korean title is Miryang, which is the town Anton, I believe, that you lived in. So. It is. Yeah. And it's also starring Song Kang-ho. <laughs> yeah, but when I, when I moved there, people were like, oh, there's a movie about this town. It's apparently a very, I haven't seen that one. Apparently it's very, very sad. That's all I know. People are like, oh, it's one of those like misery films almost of like the one character goes through so much. No, but so like I would say Lee Chang Dong is another good example of a filmmaker on Bong or Park's level of, of artistry and that kind of significance in modern cinema, even if he makes fewer films. And yeah, if you want to go the like really artsy, really only festival fair route, <laughs> I don't know. There's the kind of filmmaker that he makes like five movies a year, I swear, because he's a complete sicko. But Hong Sang Soo, he. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I like his, his movies are quite enjoyable. And that usually is about like couple, drunk, but... drunken conversations 
over soju and food in which there's usually a character that's kind of a stand-in for himself, some artist, some director, some writer who's kind of infatuated with a pretty young woman who might be an actress or a student or something. And his he's most in probably his most famous movie is Right Now Wrong Then from 2013. And the whole thing conceit of that movie is that it it's the same it repeats itself. It does the movie yeah, and it restarts yeah. it where the character does something slightly different and it turns out slightly different. So one, and it's, it's, it's almost a structural exploration of the tonal dexterity of Korean cinema in and of itself. The idea of like something can be a comedy or a drama or a horror or a romance or like a, you know, not in horn, but you know, like they can go in different directions depending on what, in the like the subtleties of a relationship yeah he puts out like five movies a year i swear <laughs> he's, he's a very prolific <laughs> Maybe not five, but a director. He, I, that's why i've seen like two of his films like well it's because he works with a low budget with like you know like in the kind of like he's he's working that sort of indie like yes he is he is aggressively lo-fi with his films where his thing will be like he'll set up a two shot at a table at a restaurant and it'll be like a 20 minute shot yeah but there's something I, I find watching his films, I feel like I'm getting a little snapshot of like Korean life in a in a different kind of way than the sort of like manicure or or like you're curated in like uh like really like flashy way that some of the the other big uh you know contemporary Korean directors do. So so I appreciate it just for the contrast sometimes. Yeah. And he's his films are definitely not for any everyone, but if you if you like that kind of indie cinema, especially on like an international level, he's watch right now wrong then or or um yourself and yours one of those movies and i just see if whether it works for you Well, hopefully you found some recommendations and some back catalog you can go explore. Thanks so much for listening, and we really hope you check out the James Cameron retrospective. Until next time. Goodbye, Mr. Bond. I bid you farewell. <laughs>